When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Cars.com. Have you heard about the Your Garage feature on Cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical and projected value. When it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So here are some activities that would go into the shadow economy that um, are legal, but um, most people often do, and they just don't uh, report their income. Contracting, uh, a lot of uh, plumbing, uh, painting homes, fixing homes, car repair. Sudhir Venkatesh is a sociologist at Columbia University. Tax preparation is a huge part of the shadow economy. Uh, Cutting hair, styling hair, uh, personal training. If you've read either Freakonomics or Super Freakonomics, you may remember Venkatesh. In the first book, he was the deadhead grad student who embedded himself with a crack-selling gang in Chicago for about seven years. In Super Freak, we wrote about how Venkatesh hung out on street corners with prostitutes, interviewing them after each and every trick to learn more about who they are and how they do their jobs. He spends a lot of time looking into substrata, that most of us rarely even think about. Um, Nannies, daycare, um, people who will bring prepared foods over to your house. So many of the uh, kinds of things that we associate with the service economy are in fact likely to be also part of the shadow economy. And Sudhir, what uh, share of goods sold on, let's say, Craigslist would you uh, estimate to be um, going toward the shadow economy? I'd say conservatively about (laughs) 99.9%. I'm glad you're in a conservative mood today. (laughs) That's a conservative estimate. I I could reframe those figures if I did study. From WNYC and APM, American Public Media, this is Freakonomics Radio, the podcast that explores the hidden side of everything. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. Today's show is about the shadow economy, all the activities and the attendant dollars that are not counted in official economic statistics, that escape the attention of the government and especially the government's tax collectors. So, by its nature, this is an elusive topic, but it's made even more slippery, slipperier, by the fact that some of the activities that constitute the shadow economy are illegal and, therefore, even harder to measure. Here, again, is the sociologist Sudhir Venkatesh. A lot of economists uh, will take 
activities like drug dealing or prostitution and call them criminal and say, you know, they're, they're part of the shadow economy, but they're just too hard for us to measure. So uh, we're just going to focus on um, things that are legal. It's just that people aren't reporting their income to the state. So it seems as though most official or academic uh, estimates of the size of a shadow economy are going to be missing what might be among the most profitable um, black market uh, transactions, which are illicit transactions, yeah? It's really hard to try and figure out exactly how much drug dealing or, or, or prostitution uh, or, or money lending that's off the books is going on. Mm. So usually what happens is that people will try to um, uh, look only at the activities that uh, are otherwise legal. Um, you know, maybe you use your car as a cab. Uh, maybe you cut hair. Uh, maybe you paint someone's house and they don't report the income and so on and so forth. Talk to me for a minute about how one, whether it's you or others, um, even try to go about and measuring the size of the shadow economy. What kind of methodology, what kind of data are involved? You have to be pretty creative and patient to, in trying to figure out uh, how big the shadow economy is or what people are doing. Many social scientists, uh, particularly those that want to see what the percentage of the, econ the shadow economy is in, in the country overall, they want big estimates, they'll often do surveys. So they might ask people very directly, hey, how much did you work illegally in the U.S.? Well, you know, there's a problem. People might not be telling the truth. Other economists might say, you know, uh, to avoid the truth-telling issue, we're just going to take uh, careful estimates. And, and so they construct very elaborate models. Sociologists like me, who don't trust people at all and, and believe that we generally don't tell the truth at all, have to go and see someone. Uh, perform something illegally. So that means we'll go and watch them. And, and, you know, in my case, I'll spend years watching them. The problem is I might only end up watching two dozen people. Well, it's, it's hard to uh, figure out what the country is doing as a whole by watching two dozen people, <laughs> let alone your neighborhood. So it, it's a problem. And, and as creatively as we want to try to be in, in measuring it, we often fall short. A lot of smart people have spent a lot of hours trying to get a grip on the size of the shadow economy, not only in the U.S., but around the world. In 2010, a World Bank analysis of 162 countries estimated that 17 percent of gross domestic product dollars were, in fact, hidden in the shadows. More recently, a pair of Turkish economists came up with a clever way to measure the shadow economy. One of them is Jehun Algan. In Istanbul, if you go to the main center of the city, which is Taksim, you will see a bunch of people selling stuff on streets, which are legal goods, like, you know, pants, T-shirts, whatever. But you can imagine how haphazard it would be to go around counting up all the under-the-table transactions in country after country. So Algan and his co-author took a different approach. Since we have pretty good data on what people in different countries earn in formal income, as well as how they spend and save and borrow, these economists built a model that essentially filtered out all the shadow dollars from the formal dollars nation by nation. And what they find? Well, it was a figure pretty similar to the World Bank estimates. They found that roughly one of every $5 in the world is part of the shadow economy. That's 20%. Now, to be sure, there are great differences from country to country. In the U.S., the shadow economy is thought to be less than 9% of GDP. Elsewhere, it is much, much higher. We took a look at these data with Sudhir Venkatesh. 
When you look at Sub-Saharan Africa and you see 40% or even Egypt, you know, 67, 70% of the economy is considered a shadow economy. You got to wonder what they're putting in there. But the the situation in some of these countries is that the government is so small and they're, and they're really not used to doing a lot of surveillance uh, over um, economic activities that a whole range of otherwise legal activities are subsumed in the shadow economy simply because the government can't go around and find everyone. So a lot of retail, you may be cutting hair, you may be having a little restaurant, you may never report that income in sub-Saharan Africa or in Egypt or, or in other parts of the, of the continent, simply because you know that it just takes too much work for the government to find you. Talk to me for a minute about what you know about the size of the shadow economy in the U.S., um, or if it's better expressed in terms of a share of, the, of GDP. There are two estimates that I find reliable. The first is that uh, as a share of GDP, roughly about 8% of GDP could be considered the shadow economy in the U.S. I think that's a conservative estimate, and that's a pretty good one. The other way of doing it, which I find kind of interesting, is that one out of every five purchases an individual in the U.S. makes is in the shadow economy. So 20% of the consumption uh, occurs in the shadow economy. The reason I like that is that it starts to account for the dollar flows. The thing we have to remember about the shadow economy is that just because what's happening in the economy between a trader and a, and a, and a customer is, is illegal doesn't mean that the money is actually completely separate from the legitimate economy. In fact, mm. mm-hmm. 75 to 80% of the money in the shadow economy eventually gets back into the legitimate economy economy anyway. <laughs> it just goes around a couple times first, I guess, then, yeah? It, 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 it sort of goes around, but if, you, if it's like a Monopoly board game, it skips over the, uh, the little cube that would be the IRS. Now, um, let me ask you this. What do you know about a shadow economy and its relationship to the recession? Is a shadow economy counter-cyclical? Does it, does it tend to grow during a recession, or do, you, do we not know? The best evidence that I've seen suggests that in developed societies like the U.S. or in most parts of Europe, the shadow economy will grow during a recession, which kind of makes sense because people will look for ways to to survive and make ends meet. Now, the exact opposite often happens in developing countries, which is to say that when business is booming in a developing country, the shadow economy will grow. And part of the reason for that is that when business booms, government simply can't keep up and regulate it. And so if you know that the government is not going to come after you and tax you and regulate you, well, why would you be part of the mainstream economy? You know, Why not just hide the taxes? Why not just uh, do everything off the books so you can keep more of the money yourself? Um, Sudhir, what do you know about the relationship between income level and um, and off-the-book activities? In other words, is a shadow economy largely a feature of poverty or not necessarily? The one study that I've seen which is interesting is that as your income rises, the percentage of your uh, – your trade, the kinds of things that you might trade illegally, grow relative to hmm. your consumption. So that in the inner city, um, if you're trading something for $5, that's probably not a great uh, percentage of what you're making. But as you go up, now if you're in the suburbs, if you're in the Upper East Side, if you're involved in the shadow economy, you're probably involved in some pretty serious stuff, some pr- pretty serious betting or some financial transactions, money lending, etc. So there are significant 
significant uh, dollars um, that are being exchanged in some some places, particularly as you go up the income spectrum. Hmm, that's so interesting. I, I get, it has me thinking about um, uh, the insider trading um, trials of the last year or so, and obviously the profits from those trades. Um, would not necessarily be part of the shadow economy because people, you know, are, are people sometimes pay capital gains taxes. But the value of the information, if one could measure that, it, that's certainly not being counted anywhere, is it? No, absolutely not. I remember talking to a number of traders in the financial services industry after the economic downturn, asking, "Well, what are you going to do now?" And they said, "Well, tomorrow morning, I'm just going to go back to the same company and trade, but you know, it's going to be totally off the books." And the, the reason is precisely because information was so valuable. They had the client base. They had all of those relationships. So the company, they might have needed to lay them off, but they couldn't afford to lose them. There's a big difference. So how would that work? Well, they might um, they might say to somebody, we'll allow you to trade for a while. We'll keep the trades on the books, but um, you won't be recorded as having facilitated that trade. Or we're going to just say that um, it was done without a middleman. And at the end of the day, we'll give you an unstated commission. Now, all of this is illegal. It involves some fancy bookkeeping. And it also involves a, a, a wish and a prayer that the IRS or the SEC doesn't come looking at your books. That's so interesting. So when, when someone like me naively thinks of shadow economies just haircuts and nannies and, and whatnot, uh, we're missing a lot. That would be missing a lot of it. Looking at a financial services industry and and trying to figure out what role the shadow economy plays for them, the, the off-the-books activity, well, you know what? It's a lot like looking at a developing country. In both places, the people are making a strategic bet, which is that government is too busy to look at them and they'll look somewhere else and they're not going to pay attention and they won't get caught. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Amica Insurance. Amica Insurance is all about empathy. They know your auto, home, and life insurance are more than just policies. Home insurance is about protecting the life you've built. Auto insurance is there to protect you on the road ahead. That's why Amica takes a consultative approach to help protect what matters most to you. They are a customer-owned insurance company that puts your needs first, and their representatives are available 24-7 for claim-related matters. As Amica says, empathy is our best policy. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So, you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package lists, and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and over 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. 
You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From WNYC and APM American Public Media, this is Freakonomics Radio. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. When Sudhir Venkatesh arrived in Chicago as a grad student in 1989, he started hanging out in a very poor neighborhood on the city's south side. As someone who had grown up in a pretty mellow suburb of San Diego, he was transfixed by what he saw. He hung out more and more and more, and eventually he wrote a book about what he learned. It's called Off the Books, The Underground Economy of the Urban Poor. The shadow economy in Chicago that I studied could probably best be described by saying that it's comprised of illicit goods or services, meaning things that people do uh, that are completely illegal, drug selling, prostitution, um, things that are in the shadow economy, not just simply because you're not reporting the income, but you're doing something that's against the law. And those are the things that I studied actively in Chicago for many, many years. In the mainstream economy or the legitimate economy, whatever you want to call it, we have all kinds of um, regulations and rules and contracts and enforcement. Um, what about in the shadow economy? How are um, disputes settled? How are contracts, uh, even if just oral, enforced and so on? I once did a study in Chicago where I found that 75% of the conflicts that occur in the shadow economy, meaning that you might say uh, it costs $20 and I heard you say $10 and then we have an argument, most of those conflicts are solved in 24 hours uh, by just the two of us just trying to figure things out. The reason they resolve so quickly is that you and I probably need each other again and again and again. Um, so we have an incentive to solve it quickly. But in many cases, we may have a disagreement. It may turn violent. And there, there usually is a third party. So there's, an, there's another part of the shadow economy, which is about dispute resolution and conflict mediation. And there are a lot of people out there selling their services as brokers or mediators who will say, you know, for 5% of that exchange uh, or for a couple bucks, I'll hear both of your grievances and I'll tell you who, who I think is right and who is wrong. Hmm. And I understand that you uh, settled one or two disputes yourself, yes? Unwittingly, I was drawn into <laughs> a number of disputes. And they were fascinating because they were everyday exchanges, uh, in one case between a car mechanic and, and a customer. And it was interesting to see in these communities where you think that just because there's a shadow economy, things are totally chaotic or there's no law. There are, in fact, a lot of norms, and there's norms about fairness and equity. And again, that's because people have to use each other the next day. So they have an incentive to keep the relations good for a while. All right. So what are some of the policy ramifications here? I mean, I think my and everybody's first thought is, of course, lost tax receipts. Most economists would probably be drawn to the tax revenue that we lose. But there are a lot of other costs. For example, if you go into an inner city neighborhood and you walk into a, a, a public park, you might see people actually fix cars. Now, that's part of the shadow economy. You can get your carburetor fixed for a few dollars. Now, that's an environmental hazard. You don't want oil all over your, your park. You don't want people to be slipping on it. That's a health hazard. Um, you don't want people solving problems in the shadow economy by themselves because that can often turn violent. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, public health hazards. There are a lot of environmental hazards in addition to the lost revenue that occur. And that's partly why we as a society want to limit or regulate the amount of economic activity that occurs outside the, the watchful eye of the government. 
So how do you feel about the existence of such a large shadow economy? On the one hand, if you are a law-abiding taxpayer, you may think it's not fair that so much money goes untaxed while you pay your share. On the other hand, you may not want the watchful eye of the government looking at every haircut and paint job and office betting pool, especially if you come out on the winning end. On the third hand, don't you wish you sometimes had a third hand? On the third hand, you're thinking, yeah, I feel kind of bad about not paying taxes on some of the money I make, but I don't really want to just pay more taxes, so maybe I should find somebody else to send some of that extra money to. Someone I like. Someone who performs a valuable service but is probably underpaid because, well, I don't know, they work in public radio or something. You feeling it? Good. You can make your checks payable to Freakonomics Radio. Cash is also fine. Also, gift cards. Amazon would be nice. Or the iTunes store. Oh, and I really need uh, some new golf clubs. Freakonomics Radio is produced by WNYC, APM, American Public Media, and Dubner Productions. Our staff includes Susie Lechtenberg, Catherine Wells, David Herman, Beret Lamb, and Chris Bannon. Colin Campbell is our executive producer. If you want more Freakonomics Radio, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or go to Freakonomics.com, where you'll find lots of radio, a blog, the books, and more. Hey, podcast listeners, college football season is starting up, and you know what that means. Tailgating outside the stadium, drunken fights, arrests. Next week on Freakonomics Radio, we will hear one man's counterintuitive solution to this problem, selling more beer inside the stadium. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.